A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Well, it's a football Friday. We've got the Bucks visiting the Dallas Cowboys. Will Deshaun Jackson make his return to the lineup, and what difference will that make? The Bucks have. Maybe some things to play for, not in the playoffs, but how about some jobs? And it's college football. First day of the early signing period is over. We're going to look at the classes of Florida, Florida State, Miami. Boy, the Gators and the Seminoles, solid, not great. No top 100 players, but somewhere in the middle of the pack of the top 20. They're about 14, 15 or so, depending on the service they rank in recruiting classes. So we'll talk to Matt Baker, college football writer of the Tampa Bay Times. we got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, listen, folks, we are all of, what, four, count them, four days before Christmas, but it's not too late. Don't panic. I got the solution for you. Go see my friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. You want to get that perfect statement piece, like a set of earrings, maybe a bracelet or diamond necklace, Andy's going to hook you up. And for our listeners only, you're going to get 20% off all jewelry purchases. That's right, 20% off. They already have the best prices. Don't go to the shopping malls. That's where you pay the big overhead. And for this time only, Andy is going to give you 20% off all jewelry purchases at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. You know, it's the time of year people get engaged. He has a great selection of engagement rings. He'll match it up with your beautiful uh, soon-to-be wife or girlfriend, so make sure you go see Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. It's where I shop there at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150, right next to the Penthouse Club. All right, so the Bucks are going to visit the Dallas Cowboys, always a marquee team to play in the NFL, no matter what the situation is. And in this case, the Dallas Cowboys need to win, and they have a chance to win the NFC East uh, if they could get a victory coupled with maybe a Philadelphia or Washington loss. Um, so it's a big game for the Cowboys who are coming off a shutout. They were shut out by the Indianapolis Colts in Indianapolis, so you know they're going to be up in the bit and uh, trying to uh, get back on the winning side of things. And I think the sort of the interesting thing about this game will be if Deshaun Jackson, uh, the Bucks wide receiver, has missed the last three games with a thumb injury, uh, will play. Now, as, as we do this uh, podcast, it, it looks like he's going to attempt to do that. He did practice on Wednesday and Thursday. Um, able to catch the ball okay, at least the, the time that I saw him. So nothing wrong with his legs. He's, he's missed uh, three weeks now. And, um, and, and, you know, a lot of people question, like, sort of why would he play? Because I think there's a general feeling, you know, that Jackson may not be back next year. I mean, his $10 million contract for next season is not guaranteed. This is a guy who asked for a trade earlier in the year. Um, and we know that for whatever reason, and it's not for a lack of effort, but he and uh, Jameis Winston have just not been able to connect. I mean, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, that's where most of his yards came from. He, um, you know, connected with Deshaun 71% of the time, I think, with, you know, with, with Jameis Winston. I think it was under 40% of the targets actually were uh, resulted in completions. And then the last game they played, um, you know, Deshaun had eight targets and just three catches for 19 yards, and that's when – uh, he decided that uh, you know the the finger was hurting him and and then missed the next three weeks. So he, he absolutely can make a difference in their offense. I mean, I think you've seen over the last couple of weeks. You know, the Bucks came out and they got up you know fourteen to three on the Saints and then were shut out in the second half. And then last week they managed only a field goal in the second half at Baltimore. And some of that had to do with Baltimore, you know, possessing the ball. The Bucks only had four possessions the entire second half, but nonetheless. 
that offense, which was which for most of the year was ranked number one overall in passing offense, has suddenly begun to shrink a little bit, and they're they're not able to run the ball consistently. Although they've run it better than they've thrown it lately, Jameis Winston right around 200 or under 200 yards in his last two games. So with Jackson able to stretch the field, we've seen Chris Godwin struggle without Jackson in the lineup. Godwin has had one catch out of the last 13 targets, did not have a catch uh, up in Baltimore, dropped a pass on the second play of the game where the, where the safety falls down, would have been a touchdown. So he's been struggling a bit and fighting his hands. Um, so they need they need somebody like Deshaun that can stretch the field. It might actually open up that offense a little bit against – what has been a very good Dallas Cowboys defense, particularly against the run. They've been uh, very solid in that area. So, uh, you know, I know Indianapolis was able to run the ball on them. They, they, they sort of uh, mauled them with that big offensive line that they have with the Colts. The Bucks don't have that, so I'm not looking for them to have sort of a repeat of that game plan necessarily. The Bucks want to throw the ball, and that's sort of what they do. And they throw it to Mike Evans, and they've done that as well as uh, this year as well as they ever have. Mike did not make the Pro Bowl. He has the second most uh, receiving yards in the NFL. Um, I think he'll go. He's a first alternate. Obviously, there'll be one of those receivers will probably wind up in the Super Bowl, and that'll take Mike to the Pro Bowl. Um, but uh, he's not fretting about it. I mean, was, we talked to him on Wednesday, and he said he sort of expected that. And all the guys ahead of him are, are really good receivers, so it's not like there's somebody who doesn't deserve to go. It's just a crowded field. Uh, the one thing that has been happening to Mike, though, is he's getting a ton of interference calls. Got one on a pick play uh, the other day in Baltimore that was a costly penalty that probably uh, or most likely did cost them a touchdown that resulted in a field goal um, where he actually didn't make contact with the other defensive back but but the guy that was actually guarding him. So we, we talked to Mike a little bit about that and how um, you know he had a reputation, especially early in his career, for pushing off. He's gotten away from that. He runs his routes a little better, and he said that he used to also be very abusive towards officials, and that's one of the reasons why – he got all the flags because he goes, now I'm nice to him. And I said, you know, has that helped? He goes, yeah, it really has. As for the Cowboys, of course, uh, they, their team has changed with the addition of Amari Cooper. So congratulations to John Gruden, the executive of the year. that's gotten two teams into the playoffs, both the Chicago Bears with a trade of Cleo Mack and then the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Look like they could win the division with Amari Cooper, who absolutely has come in there and changed their offense by stretching the field. And we talked about Deshaun Jackson. Well, same thing. You know, the, the Cowboys lacked speed. They, you know, they were playing teams that didn't respect them beating them over the top, and so they were able to load up on Ezekiel Elliott, and, and Dak Prescott had a, a tough time throwing the football. That's not the case anymore. Cooper is, is uh, taking the top off of defenses. He's making plays all over the field, and that certainly has made things easier for, uh, for Elliott to run the ball. And they're still a running first team. I mean, this is going to be – the Bucks challenge, uh, much like it was last week, it was a different challenge with Lamar Jackson, but you're going to have to stop the run uh, and try to get you know, Dak Prescott into a, uh, a situation where you know he has to throw and then try, try to get him on the ground, although he's very mobile. Uh, again, this is a tough, tough sort of assignment for the Bucks defense and for the Bucks in general to go in there with nothing to play for, the Cowboys everything to play for, and we'll see if they're able to, uh, to try to pull out a win because they certainly could use one still stuck at – at five wins, which is what they had a year ago. As for, um, you know, one, one of the things we're talking about coaching and, you know, whether or not the Bucks will stick with Dirk Cutter, which just doesn't seem as if that's going to happen necessarily, but you got to play the games. Well, one example of maybe why you do stick with your coach, and it's rare, but the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones stuck with Jason Garrett, who did not make the playoffs in his first three seasons. 
And so, you know, Garrett, of course, had, had been in Tampa years ago as a backup quarterback. And um, I think what, what Jerry likes, since he's the GM and the owner, uh, he wants to run the football operation. And I think Jason is comfortable with that. And I think he's comfortable with Jason, um, you know, allowing him to do that and thinking the same way and sort of building the same way. So that relationship has sort of worked. Um, but there is some merit sometimes to continuity even though you've had, you know, it's rare, three seasons without a playoffs. And um, I don't know that that's going to happen. I think there's going to be a lot of jobs in the NFL as I, you know, as I sit here. But uh, certainly we talked to Jason Garrett, and he, he appreciated the continuity of building a program and, and having the patience to do it, which is very hard these days in the National Football League. So um, we'll see what this matchup brings. It's not going to be like it was the last time they played in Dallas. Of course, I've talked about that. Well, the Bucks were eight and five. The Cowboys were ten and two, and it looked like the Bucks had turned the corner. But uh, turns out that was the sort of the highlight of the Jameis Winston and um, Dirk Cutter and Jason Light era. So exciting game down in Dallas, and uh, we'll bring it all to you uh, on uh, Monday's podcast on Sports Day, Tampa Bay from uh, from Dallas. So it's not just a pro football Friday. Of course, a lot of college football news as well. Matt Baker joins us now, and Matt, you were in Gainesville, of course, first day of the early signing period uh, in college football, and we're going to take a look around the state um, and start kind of, I guess, with uh, the two biggies, I guess, in the state, Florida and Florida State. Um, As you wrote in the Tampa Bay Times, uh, not great classes necessarily, not bad, solid, no top 100 players, both of them somewhere around 14 to 16, depending on what, uh, what service that you subscribe to. But uh, I want to start in Tallahassee because, you know, Willie Taggart obviously is a guy that might have, have had the biggest job to do, noted for his recruiting, and yet some developments yesterday did not go the Seminoles' way, did it? <clears throat> no, it, it did not. They were humming along. Had you know, At one point they had a, a top-10 class again, and, and your rankings differ a little bit. And then, you know, Wednesday afternoon hits, and in a 10-minute span they lost a guy, Derek Hunter, who's a four-star pass rusher. Not only, you know, he had been committed for a bit. Not only did they lose him, but they lost him to Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies, which is not uh, mm. that one. That one would sting a little bit. But the big yeah. one was, uh, uh, you know, just a few minutes later, Sam Howell, top hundred prospect, blue chip, four star quarterback, um, flipped from Florida State to North Carolina. And I, re- recruiting rankings and stars, they matter, but they're also imprecise. So I, know, I never wanted to try and make too big of a deal out of things. But the Sam Howell loss is huge. I mean, it, it, obviously, again, he's, he's a talent. Your, your quarterbacks, you, they're kind of like it's the NFL draft. It's almost like a 50-50 thing whether a guy's going to work out or not. So I think you need to kind of keep attracting them and keep signing them. So to lose one of that caliber is huge, even if he wasn't going to pan out. Um, but the big thing is just looking at the depth chart in Tallahassee. They've got, as we sit here recording uh, on Thursday morning, they've got two scholarship quarterbacks on their roster. James Blackman and DeAndre Francois, both are at least serviceable. Um, Francois didn't have a great year, but he's at least serviceable. But there's a lot of rumblings in Tallahassee that he could be leaving. You know, he graduated this semester, which means he can grad transfer and be eligible elsewhere immediately. He could also pursue the NFL draft. Again, he hasn't decided anything yet to, you know, at least publicly. So he might be back, but he also might not. And if he were to leave, again, keep going down this rabbit hole, that would leave FSU with one scholarship quarterback which is obviously mm. a very bad situation to be in. Um, so 
you know, they'll have options. The, obviously, this is just day one of signing day. There's two more days during this early signing period, plus there's a February period. The tran- there's a transfer and grad transfer market. So FSU, will they're not going to go into next season with only one scholarship quarterback. But it was a huge, huge blow. And, and coupled with the fact, too, to continue my, my rambling here, uh, Willie didn't sign a quarterback in last year's class. And that's something that, and when you look back at, at Jim McElwain at, at Florida, one of the reasons they had the trouble that they did later on is because they didn't have any good, experienced quarterback depth. And one of the reasons right. why is they didn't take a quarterback in year one. So, you know, it, I think it was costly for McElwain, and we'll see whether it's costly for Willie. But things have potential. You know, the, the, the Howell flip to UNC was not good and has potential to be really, really bad for the Knolls. Yeah, and with Francois potentially leaving, that that's also a problem, whether it's to the NFL or to another program, um, you know, for that fifth year. I guess if, if there's – I mean, if there's any way to get out of this a little bit or to save – that position, um, you said that there might be a fairly fertile market for uh, quarterbacks like Francois, but from other teams that might be looking to for a landing spot for one year, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the biggest name is obviously Justin Fields. He was a you know five-star can't-miss recruit last year. Florida State recruited him heavily, uh, both under Jimbo and then also under Willie. He signed with Georgia, but now he's looking to go – you know, uh, he, he's at least exploring the possibility of a transfer. He didn't win the starting job as a true freshman, so now, now he might be be done. Um, so he's kind of the hottest name on the market. And there's a chance that he would be eligible immediately at FSU or wherever else. The, the, the problem for the Knowles here is, again, he's one of the highest recruits of the modern recruiting ranking era. So uh, aside from, like, Clemson, Georgia, Bama, maybe Washington, any school in the country would take him. So... Florida State would be fighting presumably against Ohio State and Oklahoma and some of those other ones. So I don't think Fields will go to FSU, but it's a possibility. Um, There's some other possibilities in here, too. I mean, I I think the expectation around college football is certainly that Jalen Hurts is going to transfer away from Bama. He's, you know, he'll be a grad transfer, so he'll be eligible immediately. Um, He's a possibility with FSU. Again, there's a lot of ifs here, but I wouldn't rule that out. And um, there's other guys, too. I mean, Brandon Wimbush at Notre Dame um, lost the starting job to Ian Book. I wouldn't be surprised if he looks to, to exit. So there's going to be sure. some possibilities for FSU, maybe even some that, that we can't even necessarily consider yet. But where things stand right now, it's not great. I guess the the only uh, the, the silver lining for Florida State, we knew that you know Willie needed to get help for that offensive line, which was a, a big part of their issues uh, last year, no matter who was the quarterback. And so they did address uh, needs in that area, right? Yeah, they did. They, they, they signed some guys. Um, you know, the, the last one that they signed um, was a, out of IMG Academy. Their, their highest signee so far, four-star guy, Dante Lucas. Um, right. So that was certainly a help. Um, they had two guys that kind of committed late. Um, Juco lineman, Jay Williams. Um, and, you know, Juco, you think he might be able to contribute quickly. And then Maurice Smith out of Miami. Um, he was a three-star guy, had been committed to Boston College, and FSU got him to flip here within the last week. The, the problem, though, is offensive linemen, there are very few plug-and-play guys where they come in and are able to contribute at a, a, an average to above average to elite level as true freshmen. So, yeah, yeah they, some of these guys might be expected to play, but we'll see whether they're able to develop enough. And, and you know, three I don't think is enough for FSU. Um, they, right. they need they need more bodies than that. They need more 
uh, guys who are ready to play and contribute quickly. So that, to me, is the biggest need for FSU as they uh, close the early signing period and then get into the the uh, traditional signing period in February. Let's talk about the Gators because, you know, Dan Mullen uh, <clears throat> never had a really high-numbered recruiting class necessarily at Mississippi State, but he did parlay that one time into a, a number one ranking, I guess, uh, at, at one point. But um, Florida, you know, it, you're, <clears throat> you're good if you can – stick to the state and in this case Lakeland won the uh, state title uh, the dreadnoughts and he targeted some uh, some four-star recruits there yeah absolutely you know Florida was ha- had a class outside the top 20 it was going to be a <clears throat> again a decent class but then uh, I think around 11 o'clock on Wednesday just bang 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 they got the three the, the trio of blue chip recruits out of Lakeland uh, Keon Zipper the tight end um, Hammond, the offensive lineman, and Lloyd Summerall, the, the defensive end. Um, th- that that was huge for a number of reasons. I mean, Florida, when Florida has been good, I'm thinking particularly around 08, they've recruited the Lakeland area well with, with the Pouncey Twins and what have yes. you. So, and, and this that's an area that should be, as Dan Mullen said, Central Florida should be Gator country. I love the fact <laughs> that he called it Central Florida too. <clears throat> Almost yeah. like. Maybe he's throwing a little bit of shade at you. Uh, I'm not. I'm just saying. Um, yeah, maybe. So, but that is an area that has a good amount of talent. Lakeland always has has good players, and that's an area that Florida should own. So, for them to get you know, three guys, bang, 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 on an early signing day, committing on national TV, w- was huge for them. Now, the, the problem with Florida is that their class doesn't have a lot of top end. You know, they have no five stars. Uh, not a lot of top tier talent. And your teams that consistently win national championships have that level of talent. You know, Mullen was saying yesterday, he, he looks at the recruiting rankings, but he doesn't really go by them. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. And he always likes to talk about how at Mississippi State, one of his lowest classes, or actually his lowest class, was in 2011. They were 41st in the country, led by some three-star quarterback named Dak Prescott. <laughs> and all that all yeah. that class did was take him to number one in the country. And all of that is yeah. accurate. The problem is they didn't finish number one in the country. <laughs> and Because the teams that do that are recruiting at the highest of high levels. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. The, uh, SB Nation, I'll give a shout-out to Bud Elliott, who is a great re- recruiting writer and everything else for them. He does something called the blue chip ratio. At the start of every year, he kind of looks at recruiting ranks over the last few years, looks up the roster. If you have more blue chip, four or five star guys on your roster than everybody else, you have a chance to win a national title. If you don't, you don't. It's that simple. So Florida has to be recruiting at a higher level if they're going to be contending with Georgia and Bama and Clemson's of the world. And uh, again, through the first day, it's only day one. They had a fine class, but they weren't at an elite level, and I don't think they're going to compete for championships like Mullen wants to until they get to that point. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Now, they did, however, um, unlike Florida State, uh, were able to address the quarterback situation. What do we know about Jalen Jones? 
Yeah, Jalen Jones is a guy that, that Mullen's obviously excited about. Um, he's got good size. You know, he's listed 6'3", 205. <clears throat> he's one of those guys, too, that kind of fits what Mullen wants to do. He, he, he can run well. He can pass well. Top 350-ish recruit, so certainly uh, on the solid range. Um, and Mullen likes kind of his, his mind, too, which is hard to develop and certainly hard to see on somebody's huddle film. But he seems to be kind of one of those students of the games, really interested in the techniques and what have you. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how he fits into things uh, at, at Florida. I mean, they're, the Gators are excited about Emory Jones, who has you know, played a little bit this year as a true freshman in his future. So we'll see where Jalen Jones fits into that long-term, too. We don't follow them all that closely, but uh, certainly a lot of uh, kids from the Tampa Bay area go there and have gone there, and, of course, they've been at the top, won many national champions. But Mark Rick at the Miami Hurricanes did not have a very good day, did he? (laughs) That's an Uh, understatement. Yeah, Miami's got dumpster fire potential here. I mean, yeah, considering – where they were a year ago, you know, this time last year, they had signed, I think, 20 guys. They were a top 10 class. And, and now here they are. You know, they were able to sign, I think, 12 was the official number yesterday. As I'm looking at the rankings, they're 38th in the country, below North Carolina, and above Iowa and Indiana. That's not a good place for them, uh, considering the amount of talent in Miami, um, considering the fact that Mark Richt is known as, has been a good recruiter in the past. But they were hurt by a couple things. Um, obviously, the season didn't go the way they expected. Um, that's that's the obvious, and, and that hurts. But it also hurt that uh, Manny Diaz, their defensive coordinator, left to take Temple job like was it a week ago, a week and a half ago. And I think there were three bang, bang, bang decommits because you know they wanted to play for Manny Diaz. So mm-hmm. Miami, and then too, there, there's a report yesterday that uh, Jaron Williams, who was their you know uh, blue chip uh, quarterback from last year's class is is going to transfer or certainly consider transferring. So it's been kind of one thing after another for the Canes. And I'm not jumping ship yet, but they have a whole lot of work to do to salvage a class to try and make things okay with with the Canes going forward. Otherwise, like I said, it has absolute dumpster fire potential down there. We talked to Joy Knight a little bit uh, the other day about South Florida and Charlie Strong um, and, and what he is trying to do. Again, you know, tough position to be in when you've got Florida, Florida State, even Central Florida sort of on your doorstep. But how do you think Charlie navigated uh, his first day, signing day? Yeah, I think he did okay. Um, not great, but but okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's <laughs> Charlie's got an interesting situation, too. Um, one of the wrinkles of the early signing period is that there's just so much going on. You know, I touched on Manny Diaz leaving – Miami to become the head coach at Temple, like again, a week, week and a half, whatever it was, before signing day. So he's, you know, Manny has to scramble at Temple and the whole staff has to scramble. And you know, at USF obviously lost Sterling Gilbert to become the head coach at McNeese State. So they're still kind of scrambling, trying to figure out who, you know, their assistants. Um, they're doing the early signing day. Also, they play a game the day after signing day, assuming mm. the, uh, you know, the arc is, is okay and this deluge down here in Tampa. So there's just so much going on, which makes it a, a challenge for a program like USF. But but their class, I think, was fine. Um, you know, they, they recruited some here in the Tampa area. Raymond Collins, one of their top players, an offensive tackle out of Largo. MacArthur uh, Burnett was a JUCO guy, a three-star cornerback. Um, 
he was a, a Florida signee, and I know at one point the Gators were really excited about him. So I'm curious about his future because the Gators are going to, or the, excuse me, the, the Bulls are going to have a need in the secondary to get some guys who can play quickly. And I think uh, he's, he's one that's going to have a chance there. Well, you know, it's always fascinating. Of course, it's it's a little like the NFL draft, probably not as exact even uh, science, I think, you know, but it's become a cottage industry when you talk about high school recruiting and trying to project where these guys are going to be in really three years, two, three years. But um, always, always fascinating to see the sort of the interplay between Florida and Florida State in particular. And hey, Willie Taggart, man, I hope I hope you're able to get some players because it's going to be a short stay if they can't turn that thing around fairly quickly well and now we've got right and that's the thing sorry that's the thing rick is because willie's will the, the attraction for willie is you know he's a younger guy he's a really good relationship builder and a really good recruiter so that's why mm-hmm. it's kind of to me their slide yesterday if you want to call it that was one of the biggest stories um just because yeah. that was what he was that's one of the reasons he was brought there i think People in the coaching profession and, and in the college football world had questions about Willie as a play caller and X's and O's. We've talked about that on here before. But they, they figured he was going to be able to bring in uh, elite top-end guys, and certainly at a program like Florida State, that should. But where they are right now, again, as we sit here, they're number 14 class in the country. That would be FSU's lowest since uh, 2007, I believe it is. And, and look at some of the programs ahead of them. Obviously, Bama and Georgia are one, too. Okay, no surprise. Number three is Jimbo Fisher. So mm, one of the guys ahead of him, yeah, is, is the guy whose job he took. Number five is Oregon, which is the school that Willie <laughs> left. And, and by the way, Oregon just signed um, Kayvon Thibodeau, who was the ESPN's number one overall recruit in the country. So the old coach there is doing it. His old program is mm. doing it. Mm. That's, again, it's too early to, to sound alarm. Certainly with a signing class, there's a lot left to do. But it has potential to get ugly up there. I'm not saying it will, but it has potential. Yeah, the only thing worse would be if Western Kentucky out recruits him, and then he'll really have the clean sweep there. <laughs> um, uh, look, there was one other thing before we move on. Uh, University of Central Florida, of course, we all saw the hor- horrific uh, injury to Mackenzie Milton, um, and who knows what his future will be, um, but you wish him well, certainly. But they have developed now sort of a pipeline. It started with Marcus Mariota going to Oregon, of course, but the St. Louis school out there in Honolulu where I visited um, now seems to be sort of where UCF is able to tap into to more quarterbacks, right? Yeah, absolutely. They got uh, Dylan Gabriel out of there, three-star guy. Um, Hawaii has been, you know, here in the last couple of years, they've been known as a place that's, Developing quarterbacks, obviously Mackenzie yeah. Milton, uh, obviously uh, Tua, um, Marcus Mariota, and, and Jordan mm-hmm. Tamu, who was a pretty good quarterback in sports, at least at Ole Miss. At Ole um, Miss, yeah. <clears throat> it, it's kind of funny, Rick. Uh, before I came here, I worked at the Tulsa World. Shout out to, to Tulsa, great town that treated me well. Uh, I did a story where I looked at all the high school or all the college football players on every D1 roster and looked at. Mm-hmm which areas of the country they were from to find what metro areas were producing the most players overall and per capita. It's no surprise to me, you know, Dallas, I think, was number one overall. But when you break it down by per capita, you know, taking account the size of the the city, Honolulu was the number one uh, city in the country in terms of producing talent. So people have known for a while that there you can go to Hawaii sure. and get players. Typically it had been kind of your big stereotypical Samoan defensive, lineman. Defensive offensive <clears throat> lineman. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But here, you know, I think Mariota is the one who kind of opened some people's yeah. eyes. Like, uh, there's some skill here, too, and there's some some quarterbacks here, too. So good on UCF mm-hmm. for obviously recognizing that and, and, and building a pipeline. And we'll see what they, what, uh, they do there going forward. Uh, we've got some college bowl games over the weekend. Nothing uh, really necessarily jumps out. Uh, you know, if anything strikes you, let me know. But uh, things like the Idaho Potato Bowl, BYU in Western Michigan, you got Wake Forest playing Memphis uh, in Birmingham. Army in Houston might be an interesting game. I like Army. I like what uh, what Mullen has done there too. Or not Mullen. Munkin. I'm sorry, uh, Munkin. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that one just for a second because you're not going to find teams that are any more diverse than Houston and Army. Yeah, Army's right. kind of old school triple option. I mean, they took Oklahoma to overtime because, oh, you never had the ball. Army would just go <laughs> on these eight, nine, ten minute drives um, and, and, it, and it worked for them. So I think they were the yeah. second slowest offense in the country this year. And Houston, yep. I believe, was the quickest offense in the country. So they're, they're nice. just two completely different uh, skill sets. And two, I'm curious of watching... Uh, Houston, because there's still rumblings that Kendall Bryles could, you know, Houston's OC could be the new offensive coordinator at Florida State. Again, as we record this now, just as we recorded a week ago, there's been nothing official on that front. But I'm expecting here, you know, once the early signing period and maybe once a couple bowl games are done for something to come out on that. So that's a game I'm interested in. And and Buffalo, Troy, too. Um, Yeah. Of course, the the famous Dollar General Bowl in Mobile. Um, (laughs) Neil Brown. Uh, the, the Troy head coach I thought was going to be in line for a bigger job. Um, he didn't get one for whatever reason, which is going to be Troy's gain. And, and Buffalo, Lance Leopold, um, has done a fantastic job kind of returning that program back to respectability and even being decent. You know, he was a guy who won three. Like, yeah. Yeah. And they won like 90 national championships when he was at uh, uh, Wisconsin Whitewater D3 school. So for uh-huh. him to do to make that jump and be doing it at Buffalo that has some NFL guys, by the way, um, that's an interesting one for me. Yeah. One named Khalil Mack that might be the defensive player of the year in the NFL. So um, interesting games. And then your next uh, big bowl assignment is going to be where? I will be, uh, the day after Christmas, I am headed to Atlanta for uh, mm-hmm. Florida-Michigan. I think Michigan is still going to have enough players to play the game. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting worried. I think it's going to be just Jim Harbaugh and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe some of his, his friends or something all in their khakis because, um, you know, uh, first, uh, Rashawn Gary announced that he was going to skip the game the big defensive yeah. lineman going to be a high pick um then a couple days ago it was devin bush who was an all-america caliber linebacker for them and then again just this morning as we're recording um cron yeah. higdon uh michigan's running back he's gonna miss the game because he wants to get ready for the draft so those are sure. three of michigan's top you know probably five or so players um mm-hmm. it's certainly going to make things a little bit easier for florida um so, but like I said, I think the game will still get played. Um, yep. I think I will get to eat a lot of Chick Fil A, which is good for my stomach, bad for my uh, arteries, um, <laughs> and hopefully it will be an entertaining contest. So there's that. Uh, it's a great venue too. I mean, it's it's a it's an outstanding oh, yeah. stadium up there that they've built, um, which I enjoy going to when the Falcons play. But Jim Harbaugh, who has said he's not going back to the NFL, but I read this morning on Pro Football Talk that there is at least one team. That is still going to try to get Jim Harbaugh. Hmm. Wonder what team might need a coach in the NFL. Let's see. Well, 
We'll have to wait a couple of weeks to find all that out, I guess. <laughs> anyway, what, Matt are you Baker. Something? Uh, no, not at all. No, I, I look. I, I'm willing to wait to see just how this thing plays out. Two more games with the Bucks, but it's not, it's not going Dirk's way right now. Um, but there's going to be. I, I did this thing, this math in my head the other day. There could be anywhere from eight to eleven NFL jobs, um, if you can imagine that. This is going to be a, an enormous year of turnover, I think in the National Football League for head coaches. So you wonder, too, because there's always a surprise college coach or two involved. And, of course, signing day is why it's always very quiet, very hush-hush, because as soon as that gets out, the college coach is, is talking to an NFL team. you got about four hours before you lose every recruit that has uh, decided to go your way. We went through that with Chip Kelly. So I don't know. You know, a lot of talk about Lincoln Riley. I don't see him uh, leaving Oklahoma, but uh, there's always surprises and, um, you know, we'll see if there's a, a college football coach that might be talking to some uh, NFL teams, but you never know. So yeah, we'll, I mean, uh, we'll dive cer- into that. Certainly, yeah, certainly the college names that you hear regularly, Harbaugh, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. <clears throat> um, we'll yes. see. The, the timing on that could be interesting, depending on what happens uh, when they play Clemson in the Cotton Bowl. James yeah. Franklin from Penn State's name comes up a lot for some sure. reason. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. sure I buy that just because I don't I, I think he's a really good recruiter and I don't know that the NFL is going to be the best fit for him. Um, and then the other guy whose name has come up before su- surprisingly to me is Matt Rule. Um, he was at, at Temple. Um, now he's at Baylor's done a fine job on kind of repairing that program a little bit, considering how awful they that team was on and off the field and in every sense. Um so I think he interviewed with the Colts, it was a couple of years ago. So that would be a name. Yeah. I don't know that he would be splashy enough for a hypothetical NFL team looking for a head coach in the 813 area code. Um, but that's a guy that has certainly uh, kind of pursued that in the past, at least. Yeah, there's all there's always surprises. There's always I think there'll be at least one, maybe two college football coaches that right now you may not know. I mean, who knew that Greg Schiano, um was when, when he was. <laughs> You know, at Rutgers, he, look, he was talking to the – he was in Stan Kroenke's house in Los Angeles um, talking to the Rams when Jeff Fisher made the decision not to go to Miami and then was going to L.A. And that that's how, you know, after Chip Kelly fell through, that's how Mark Dominic talked to to, uh, uh, to his friend uh, Kevin Demoff, who was, who was interviewing um, at the time Shiano. And then the next thing you know, he becomes a head coach. And nobody – really saw that, you know, saw that coming because it was so quiet. And that's the way these college coaches have to operate if they want any kind of flirtations at all with the NFL. You cannot let that out because as soon as you do, um, you know, the other teams start recruiting and saying, well, your guy, your guy's not even going to stay. So um, so it's tricky, but it's, uh, you know, they don't – those two seasons just don't run concurrently enough to where, uh, to where you can affect, you know – uh, not affect recruiting but anyway matt we appreciate the information as always we'll look forward to reading uh, your coverage of the chick-fil-a bowl between michigan and florida and uh, we'll be talking i'm sure soon about uh, some national championship games all right you got it thanks Rick. so a busy weekend in football of course bucks cowboys as we mentioned also in hockey we've got the lightning are uh, going to visit the edmonton oilers the final game of that road trip that'll be on saturday night at 10 o'clock if you want to stay up for that one um, Lightning playing very, very well, as you would expect. And uh, we've got uh, just, you know, a couple days before Christmas. Don't forget now, if you don't have a gift for your wife or your girlfriend, go see my friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. And for our listeners only, you're going to save 20% off all jewelry purchases. 
that's where you want to go. That's where I shop. He's going to take care of you. It's very easy, and you're going to have a great Christmas for your wife or your girlfriend. They're at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150 right next to the Penthouse Club. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Versnick. Folks, have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 